do? Everybody okay? Well, uh, the Lord gave me this word in January. In January. And I was supposed to, uh, you know, I go to the ladies' home on Wednesday nights when we were doing home groups. So I was, I was going to give it there. And, um, and that was when Pastor Lonnie started the videos. And so I put it on hold. And uh, the Lord just kept building it in my spirit, and it just sat there and marinated, and the Lord started adding stuff to it, and he was really doing a work in me with it. And uh, when I got the email from Dorothea asking me to teach, I thought, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, it's time to release that word. Well, that was nine months ago. So with God's help, I'm going to deliver this baby tonight. So, <laughs> So now... Let me tell you that I used to be a school teacher. I don't, most of you know that. Some of you don't. But I used to be a school teacher. And so many times I would ask my students to read the information the night before so that the next day when I start introducing the subject, they have some familiarity with it. So the way I teach, I go through a whole lot of scripture because I love this book right here. I love the word of God, and, the, and you can't say it any better than this. And if you can't say it with this, you haven't got any business saying it. So that's, if I'm going to say it, I'm going to back it up with this. So I'm not going to give you time to look these scriptures up. I'm going to go through, I'm going to do a Cliff Notes kind of uh, synopsis of some of the scripture that I'm going to share with you. But what I did, as all good teachers do, I typed up all the scripture references that I'm using tonight so that you can go back and read them later. Uh, later. So... I've, I've got 10 of these, but if I run out, I'll email it to you, whatever, if you want it or not. It's there. So, the name of this word is the but if nots and are nots of God. So, let's pray. Father, I can't do this, and only you can. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to totally remove me, and you speak, Lord, and you open the ears and the eyes and the hearts of your people to receive this word in Jesus' name. All right, the first scripture that I'm going to share with you, and the young men back there are going to put them on the screen for me, is out of Daniel 3, verse 14. And I can just almost bet you nobody's ever seen this before, and it just jumped off the page at me. I'm going to start at verse 14. You need to go back and read the whole chapter, but I'm going to start at verse 14. Now, the, what was taking place is that Nebuchadnezzar had built this big statue and he wanted everybody in the kingdom to bow. When the music started playing, he wanted everybody to bow and worship this image that he had created. Well, Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego were not going to do that. In fact, Dorothea, they took a stand. And I so much appreciate that word Sunday. That was so good. That, I've been eating on that all week. But here it is, starting with verse 14. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God? who will be able to deliver you from my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known unto you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when I was a little girl it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but anyway, <laughs> fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, O oh, true king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servant of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. All right, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Is my young man keeping up with me here? Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. In our lives, we are going to have but-if-nots and are-nots that happen. And I'm going to go through and I'm going to share with you three characters in the Bible that exemplify this so that you can understand what I'm talking about. And I'm going to answer three questions tonight. 
Can this really happen? How am I going to deal with this? So what do I need to do now? Those are the three questions I'm going to answer. So let's start with can this really happen? Now what you need to do is read Genesis 37 and then chapters 39 through 50, okay? On your own time, y'all need to go back and read it because this is an awesome story. But I'm going to give you the cliff note version, okay? And I'm going to be going really fast, so jump on my train and hang on because we're going fast through this. There's a lot to be said here. So the life of Joseph exemplifies Proverbs 18:16. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. It also brings about 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. And then, of course, Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. In chapter 37 of Genesis, it starts with Joseph being 17 years old. He's a favorite of his father. His father has made him this beautiful coat of, of many colors. And his brothers hate him, absolutely abhor him. They can't stand him. And so his father sent his brothers out to feed the flocks and find grazing land. And he sent Joseph to go check on them. And so prior to all of this, Joseph had had a couple of dreams. And it kind of indicated that they were going to be bowing down and serving him. And, and that's what they said. Are we going to bow down and serve you? And... You know, his father just kind of got on to him, but he did ponder it in his heart. But anyway, they saw Joseph coming to find them, and they uh, planned to kill him. They started saying, let's kill him. Let's just get rid of this guy right now. Well, Reuben was one of the other brothers, and he kind of said, well, no, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit somewhere. And so they dug a pit, and they threw Joseph in the pit. Well, in a little bit, some Ishmaelites came along traveling, and they saw him in the pit. And so the brothers sold them to them for 20 shekels. And so Joseph is sold into slavery, and they take his coat of many colors, and they kill an animal, and they put blood all over it, and they take it back to his father and make their father think that Joseph has gotten killed by a wild animal. So uh, Jacob is just grieved to no end over losing his son because he loved him so much. But Joseph is taken to Potiphar's house, and that's where Potiphar buys him for his house, and his gift makes room for him, and now he's in charge of Potiphar's house. And so Potiphar's wife starts throwing herself at him. She's making advances toward him and trying to get him to take her on, and he's, he's not having that. He's not having anything to do with that. But one day, everybody was gone out of the house, and Joseph went to take care of business, and Potiphar's wife threw himself at her, and Joseph just had to get away from her real quick, and she grabbed his coat on his way out. Well, she decided she wanted to join the Me Too movement. Now, I don't know if she had had that kind of situation prior to Joseph, but Joseph did not give her a reason to be a part of that. But Joseph was thrown in prison, and he had to go straight to prison. Well, by now, uh, you know, slavery, and now he's in prison, uh, he's part of the hee-haw gang. If it weren't for bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. So uh, some of y'all are too young for that. We'll explain later. But anyway, so now Joseph's in prison, but once again, his gift makes room for him, and he's put over all the prisoners. And then the butler and the baker make the king mad, and the king throws them into prison. Well, after a few days, the two of them have a dream. 
and they're very distraught because they know this dream means something, but they have no idea what it means. But Joseph says, well, God can interpret that dream. So Joseph interprets their dream, and the baker's head gets cut off, which is according to what his dream said. Y'all got to read this. You can't just take my word for it. Y'all got to read this. And the baker and the butler is restored to his position as the butler. But both times, while he is interpreting the dream and when the butler's getting out of prison, Joseph says to him, now remember me, because just like everybody else, I didn't do anything to get here. You know, everybody says when they go to prison that they didn't do anything to get there. Well, Joseph really didn't, but anyway. But the baker, the, the butler forgot about him, didn't, didn't even think about it again. He got back to his position and to his life and never thought of Joseph again until the king had a dream. And he didn't know how to interpret, interpret it. And he was very grieved in his spirit about it and, and didn't know what to do. And he called all the wise men and he called all the magicians. Nobody could interpret the dream. And then all of a sudden, the butler remembers, oh, there was a guy in the prison that interpreted my dream and the baker's dream. And everything he said came to pass. And the king says, go get him. So they go get Joseph. They clean him up and they bring him to the king. And not only is Joseph able to interpret the dream, he also tells him everything he needs to do to fix the situation because part of the dream was there were going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Joseph told him how to take care of it. Well, the king looked at everybody and said, there's not anybody here any wiser than this guy, so we'll just put him in charge. Joseph goes from being in prison to second in command in a day. I mean, in a day. He's second in command. All right. So now the seven years of plenty have gone by, and now we're into those years of famine. And his brothers and his father are running out of provisions, so they've got to go someplace and buy stuff so they can take care of their families. So his dad says, take all the flocks and go to, the, to Egypt and buy what we need. Well, they, I don't think they took the flocks, but, you know, take everybody and go to Egypt and buy what we need and bring us provision. Well, they're coming, and Joseph recognizes them. He realizes that these are my brothers, but they don't recognize him. And so he plays with them a little bit. Uh, first off, he accuses them of being spies. Uh, he kept uh, one of their brothers, when, when they went back, he said, well, you can't come back unless you bring Benjamin, which Benjamin was the youngest brother. And the father had already said, I'm not sending him because I don't want anything to happen to him like happened to Joseph. But he said, you can't come back unless you bring that brother. So they ended up having leave, to leave Simeon, and Simeon was put in prison while they went back home. And so they told Jacob what this man said. And he said, we can't go back and get any more unless we bring Benjamin with us. So uh, Jacob said, that's just not happening. I'm not doing that. So time went by. They ran out of stuff. They had to do something. They didn't have any other place to go. Egypt was the only place that had anything. So they had to go back to Egypt. And Jacob said, if I lose my son, I lose my son. I just, you know, you're just going to grieve me to death. You're going to take me to my grave. So they come back. And Joseph really starts toying with them. I mean, it's not a, it's not a hateful thing. It's just he's just messing with them. Because uh, like the first trip, he put their money back in their sack. And then the second trip, he put their monies back in their sack. And then his golden cup inside of Benjamin's sack. And I think it was something like, you know, whoever's sack we find it in, they're, they're going to get their head cut off or go to prison or something. But it ended up being Benjamin's sack, which was on purpose. So anyway... Uh, Joseph finally, these guys are just so uh, upset and they're so torn up and they know oh, our dad's going to kill us. Uh, we've got Benjamin. 
finally Joseph just breaks down and tells him who he is. And this is in Genesis 45, verses 3 through 8. This is real significant, guys. Listen to this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For, for these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made a, me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Well, long story short, they went back and told Jacob, Joseph is alive, and they brought them all to Egypt. They gave them the land of Goshen to shepherd uh, all the flock, and, and Joseph took care of his family for the rest of the famine. We're going to come back to that in just a minute, but here's another character in the Bible that went through some but-if-nots and are-nots, and I'm going to explain this but-if-not stuff and are-not stuff better in a minute here. In chapters 1 and 2 of Job, it talks about Satan went before God and, and said, you know, I bet if you do this to Job, he'll curse you and he'll not serve you anymore. And so God gave him permission to do some things in the first chapter. And he did it, and, and Job stood firm in his faith. Second chapter, he did some more stuff to him, and Job stood firm in his faith. But in Job 2.9... Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now I can just see Joseph. He turns and looks at her and he says, He took away all my sons and all my daughters and left you. No, he didn't say that. I promise you. He really didn't. He didn't say that. Yeah. But what he did say was this. What he did say was this. Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, Yet will I trust him, even so I will defend my own ways before him. I was going through a really rough time, and nothing was going like I thought it was supposed to go. Now, I've, I've known the Lord all my life. I got saved when I was eight years old, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues when I was ten years old. And the reason why I know that is because I had a teacher that hated my guts, and I had to go to the bathroom continually during the day to pray in tongues just to endure. And so I knew that I got spirit-filled when I was 10 years old. But I went through a time where I wasn't sure that God hadn't rejected me. In fact, I thought he had. And I know the, the word says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I know that. It says that. But I felt rejected by God. I couldn't find him anywhere. I couldn't hear him. I couldn't see him. I couldn't feel him. And, and it was a really, really difficult time. There were a lot of but-if-nots and are-nots going on in my life. And then the Lord brought me to Job 23, 8 through 10. Look, I go forward. And this is Job talking. I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But this is so good. Verse 10. 
but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as pure gold. You see, there are some things that God does in our life that can't be done any other way. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it hurts real bad. But God is in the midst of it. There are times when you say, you know, God, all you'd have to do is say a word and this would be over. You could fix this, Lord. But he doesn't fix it. That's a but if not. And there are times when you go through things that are not like they should be. Like, for instance, I was a pastor's wife, and I had to go through a divorce with a preacher. And I was totally rejected by my family and by the church I was in at the time. You know, what do you do with that? That's not supposed to happen. That's a, that's a big time or not. That's a big time one. What do you do with that? How do you deal with that? Paul is another example of somebody who went through some stuff. And I don't, I've never been through any of this stuff Paul's been through, but maybe some of you have. Second Corinthians 11, 24 through 28 says, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which have come, come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So even Paul had some but if nots and some are nots going on in his life. So the next question is, how am I going to deal with this? Well, there's a lot of people that when I told them that I couldn't feel God or I felt like God had forsaken me, that really got on to me and said, well, you know that's not true. He said he would never leave you nor forsake you. Well, you know something? Think about Jesus hanging on the cross. When all of our sin was on him, God had to turn his head. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? You can read through the Psalms and hear David feeling like the Lord had left him. You know, he had a lot of stuff going on, having to run from Saul. And he was the one that was anointed to be king. And he had to run and hide. And he felt like he was rejected by God at times. But Isaiah 54, 7 through 10, if you commit these things to memory and remember them during these times, this is the important thing is to remember the scriptures that can help you stand through these times and endure them. Isaiah 54, 7 through 10. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercy will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. Isaiah 54.10, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. Another chapter in the Bible that's become so very important to me is Romans 8. 28 through 30 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, 
to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, them he also called, them he called, he also justified, and them he justified, these he also glorified. Those are all processes that take time, and they take but if nots and are nots to get them. Romans 8, 35 through 39, this was a good one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are all precious things that you can hang on to during those times. And they're going to come. I wish I could tell you they aren't, but they are. Those times come. I want to take you back to Genesis 50 right quick because... When um, Joseph's father died, his brothers thought, oh, oh, now, dad's dead, so now he's really going to take it out on us. Dad's not around to corral things. He's really going to take it out on us. So this is right after Jacob died. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. These are the same guys that made fun of his dreams that he had. But here they are, bowed down before him. And here's what Joseph said, and this is, so, this is so important. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Bonnie and Kaylin, when I read this, I remembered the story about victory and how she got her name. See, I think the Lord gave you, uh, maybe it was a vision, a dream, a little bit of both, about what had gone on with the women in your family and how victory was the end of that. And so her name is Victory for that reason. There's many of you tonight here that need to find your victory in Jesus. And... Another thing that the Lord spoke to me, and this I think probably goes to the women in the home and the men in the home. Do you, do you know when you're going to know that God is really healing your heart? It's when you can look at the people that hurt you and abused you and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And now I'm here to save you. That's when you know God has redeemed you. And that just jumped out at me. That jumped out at me so strongly. So what do I need to do now? So yes, what do I need to do now? All right, you've established the fact that there are but if thoughts and are nots. They happen. 
Things don't go the way we think. I mean, I have told God how to do things so many times, and he will not listen to me. And, and I have, I've had so many of these. I mean, my life has turned out totally different from the way I had it planned or thought it was going to go. Totally, totally different. And uh, anyway, so, so what do you do now? Well, if this kind of thing is happening in your life, it means that you've committed your heart to Jesus and you've said yes and you've told God you want him to do what he needs to do in your life. That's why these things are happening. He's doing what you're asking him to do. You've given him permission. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, when you first get saved... I know this is true. I've seen many brand-new baby Christians. They are all full of love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and all that good stuff, and then somebody crosses them and does something they don't like or says no to something they want to do, and all that love, joy, peace, and stuff goes right out the window. How does God work that into you? Yes, you'll have a measure of it, but God really wants to work it in you where no matter what happens, it's there. You're going to love no matter what. You're going to have joy no matter what. You're going to have peace no matter what. How does God get that in you? It's a process. And those but if nots and are nots are what come in handy. Remember the scripture, he said he uses the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. All of those flesh things, we're born with it. It's already in us. He has to get that out of us and the fruits of the Spirit in us, and it's through this process that he does that. 
I have a real favorite saying. And I'm talking to people now. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm talking to people that are really committed to Jesus. I love this Wednesday night group because these people are really committed to Jesus. They want Jesus to do what Jesus needs to do in their life. They really want him to have his way. And so that's why you go through so much stuff is because you've asked him to do it. And he's going to do it. He's a faithful God. But here's my favorite saying, and it's not scripture, although I've got scripture to back it. My favorite saying, and some of you have heard it before, this is not Burger King. You cannot have it your own way. This is not Burger King. You cannot have it your own way. Guys, if you'll cue up that song for me. Some of you tonight need to do some work at the feet of the cross. And this very last verse sums it all up. It's everything. It's, it's where we need to be. It's where we have to get to. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's time to die, folks. It's time to die. Play that song for us. I'm going to let it play for a few minutes. And if you want to come down here and take care of business or if you want to stay right where you are, you can. Let's listen to the words of the song. Shown me your love through the judgment you received, and you won my heart, and you won my heart. Now I can trade these ashes in. the 
just like a crowd coming to kiss the feet of mercy I lay every burden down I trade these ashes in for beauty and wear forgiveness like Thank you, Jesus. What a blessing. Thank you, Miss Barbara. For those of you who don't know, whenever I was four years old, my dad was uh, beginning his process, and me and my sister went to stay with Barbara and Jim, and they were adopted parents to us for a season there. Uh, so, man, what a blessing. There's still ministry going on, uh, so I don't want to interrupt what the Lord's trying to do, but if you need to go, you're more than welcome to go, and we're going to hang out here, and it is raining outside, so when you go to your car, run, or walk, whatever you're going to do. 